This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the 2017 Launchpad Feature Competition. Now in its fifth year, the Launchpad has helped 254 writers get signed, 81 projects get set up, 48 writers get stuffed, and led to four bidding wars. Paper Team listeners can save $15 off their entry by using the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, at the checkout. For more information on their current competitions and exclusive partners, visit tblaunchpad.com. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about TV casting with Becca Burgess, who has helped cast such TV shows as Last Man Standing, Undateable, and Cougar Town. Hey, Becca. Hello. Mario. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks. To a very warm me. apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty toasty in here. <laughs> Presley, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you kind of ended up in this job. So I'm originally from Georgia, which when I was in college, hadn't really started the boom of the TV industry quite yet. It was kind of picking up right when I graduated. So I started working originally at an agency and I was there for a couple of years on their TV and film desk and then decided to move to LA to get into casting. It was something that I kind of always thought that I wanted to do and that kind of fell into place that I could have kind of a seamless transition. Two weeks after I decided to move. (laughs) So it was very quick, yeah. What attracted you to casting? I like working with actors, but I also like the creative aspect of casting. The agency side is a lot of negotiating and it's more business. So it, it was one of those things that if I hadn't done it, I think I would have always wondered what if. So I knew I had to at least like give it a shot. Were there any particular actors or TV cast that you just loved growing up and that kind of cemented the track you wanted to be in? No, I would say I, I got into the industry because of my obsession with the musical Annie. Yeah. <laughs> I was like five and super obsessed with it. And like a local theater was putting it on. And, and my mom was like, you should go audition. And I totally blew it. I didn't get cast. I oh, no. was awful. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to do it again. So I made my mom bring me to the adult auditions. And I like knocked it out of the park. And Ooh. I got cast. So that oh, wow. sort of like was the acting bug for me. And I did like musicals and theater for like the vast majority of my youth and then somewhere around like middle high school I think I realized like I don't really want to be in front of the camera I want to do something behind it that's sort of where I shifted my focus once I went to college so what was your first job in LA and how did you kind of work your way through there up to where you are now um my first casting job was on a little indie film called me and Earl the dying girl which um ended up doing really well at Sundance and then after that I got hired full-time with a tv casting office been working with them ever since was it kind of an easy transition to get in that department from the agency world right yeah kind of i mean it's uh, the agency side is just the opposite so i knew a lot of like the systems that they use because like we use breakdown services all the time and it's on the agency side you're submitting your people and on the casting side you're picking the people so it was kind of an easy transition in which that i knew the ins and outs of it i just hadn't worked the casting part before so it was pretty easy to pick up and and learn so for people who don't know walk us through exactly what is the kind of the casting process for tv where do you guys come in and what does the casting office do so once we get a script that has a guest role in it we will post that to breakdown services which is the website that everyone uses for submissions the agents and managers will submit people that they feel are right for it and we get thousands of these and so we'll go through all the people submitted 
We'll select who we want to audition, and then we'll have a session. And depending on the size of the role, depends on how many we read. But we do the session. We'll usually post, like, f- for, like, a co-star role, we'd post, like, five-ish people that are our top picks. And we'd send those links of their tape to producers and the director, and then they'll narrow it down to their top first choice. And then that first choice gets passed on to studio for approval, and then has to get approval by network as well. And then once everyone's signed off, then we can <laughs> offer the role to it's that a lot actor. of steps. Yeah, yeah it's, there's a lot of people that have to weigh in, for sure. Could you talk a little bit about the sort of transition from script and knowing there's going to be a new character, for example, maybe there's going to be a character description describing that new character, to physically having a casting description that may be different from the script or similar? Well, we always read the material once we get it, because as you know, it goes through a lot of changes in the writer's room. So what we might have originally been told may be different or the role was completely cut. So we don't usually send out the breakdown until we have kind of a firm idea of what this character is going to be. And even then, we may hold off to hire them until we actually know that this this role is going to stay in the script. Breakdown Services is the one that writes up the blurb based on the material. But, we, you know, we'll pull the sides and, and go from what's written on the page. So you guys are kind of there ongoing throughout this, this season and the series. And every time there's a new episode comes out, you're kind of repeating this process and finding new actors to exactly. come in every episode, right? Yeah. And uh, have you been involved in the initial casting of like a pilot or a series from yeah, day I've one? Yeah, I've done um, several pilots and that's kind of a different beast because you're casting those series regular. So it's far more work <laughs> than a series yeah. um, and you're reading way more people. And yeah, it's it's a much more involved process. Yeah. Tell sure. us a little bit about that process and how do you kind of pick these people? What makes someone good enough to be a series regular and carry this show? You know, I think part of casting is to to be open to reading actors that you may not be familiar with. So we definitely bring in people who may not have the credits that you would think of for a series regular. I mean, last year we tested a couple guys who had nothing. Like this was their first big thing. They had never wow. even tested for a project before. So So you can definitely find people that are really talented and really good actors that just haven't been given those opportunities yet. So, and that's part of our job is to kind of open the doors and think outside the box and, and just read a ton of people. What are kind of your conversations with uh, either the producers or the writers in terms of casting? Well, I think that it's hard, especially for writers to envision this character they've written as something other than what's in their mind. And we as casting, I think, try to think outside the box, like I said before, And so a lot of times they kind of give us this like definitive, like we want this, this, and this, but you know, characters can kind of be subjective and can be interpreted different ways, especially when it's written on paper. And so we'll still read people that aren't necessarily like what's written on paper or maybe what you had in mind. And if we find someone really great, like we will still show you that option because that could be something that you hadn't thought of that still works really well for the project. Do you have any interesting examples of a chasm or that change in perception? Yeah, we had this role last year. It was actually the same guy who um, had never tested for anything before. And on paper, he was supposed to sort of be like this nerdy, almost maybe McLovin, like overly confident guy (laughs) who thought he was just like really hot stuff, but was so nerdy and like, just not what he pictured himself as. And we ended up getting this like really handsome, attractive man who it would make sense for him to be cocky, but his arrogance was almost, and like the way he flirted with people ended up being shifted 
to where it was like, oh my God, you're so ridiculous because you're cute, but the way that you flirt just ruins everything. So it, it did end up being a different twist on what the character was written as, but he did such a good job that that's where it ended up going. I've heard a lot of stories from sort of writers and showrunners, you know, listening to podcasts and things that they're sitting there in the those sessions and all these actors are coming and reading their lines and they're kind of like getting frustrated with themselves at their own writing. They're like, oh, is this even any good anymore? Because they've heard oh. the people do it so many times over <laughs> yeah. and over and over and it's not working yeah. for them. Yeah, like side fatigue is definitely a thing, especially with casting. Like we, I think for this pilot I worked on last year, we read way more guys for a certain role than we normally would. It, it was so hard to find and... We probably read 800 guys for it. Wow. So after hearing the same sides 800 times, <laughs> oh like it really takes a special person to kind of like make it pop. Then when you do get so that person, surely it's a, a relief. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, yeah. someone finally did it. Yeah, exactly. And, and then takes. it's like, okay, we're showing you to producers because finally we've seen something that we haven't seen before. <laughs> is, there, is there anything in the writing of the script when you guys are reading it that you find helps or hinders you in casting that role? No, I think that some of the things that we do discover, and you probably get this as well, being writers, how it's written on the page may not sound right coming out of someone's mouth. And that's sort of when like it goes into another draft and you tweak those lines. That's like one of the things we notice that just doesn't roll off as smoothly as one would originally expect. What are you guys sort of looking in a read from an actor, generally speaking? You know, I don't think we really go in with like a preconceived set of boxes that we have to check it's it's if someone does something really great with the material like it may not be something that we envision it may not be something that you guys envision but if it works and it's a really good audition and they clearly made a choice about the character or the subject material it's a good take and we'll show that as an option and you know maybe the producers and the writers don't like it but it would it's something that we feel that we should present because it was a good audition are there kind of big differences in how you approach casting for a drama as opposed to casting for a comedy? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think comedy, I think it's sort of the same thing where like theater actors can't necessarily do TV and film and vice versa. And then dramatic actors can't necessarily do comedy. Like it's a totally different beast, especially on like a sitcom where you've it's multi-cam um, and you're doing it in front of a live audience. To answer your question there, it takes a different actor to do it. And some people just can't do comedy and that's fine. I have mostly comedic TV experience. So I haven't been in the room with a lot of like drama auditions. But yeah, I would say not everyone can do comedy. Do you feel it's harder to transition into comedy specifically as opposed to transitioning into drama? As an actor? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that you probably need to take classes. There's a certain timing and beat that you have to follow, which again, as writers kind of inherently know, but actors don't necessarily know where to find those jokes. And I think a really good actor can look at the material and find a joke in a line that wasn't necessarily meant to be a joke and can find sort of like hidden moments that maybe you guys hadn't thought of. Do you think that theater actors are a little better when they come in for like multicam stuff because they're used to that interaction with like a live audience and performing on a stage or is it a, a different beast? No, I don't think it really depends on like the multicam aspect. I think it's more, can you work as a TV and film actor? Because it's, it's much different from having to portray your emotions from 50 feet away or how, you know, however big the theater is versus a camera being right in your face. So it's also about the physical production aspect of it versus, you know, in theater, it's a live yeah. audience. Yeah, there's a subtlety to on camera, whereas, you know, they're kind of acting too big and, and uh, yeah. exaggerated. Yeah. yeah. 
And even like vocally, like sometimes you'll notice they project a little bit more and you're like, there's only three of us <laughs> in the room. Like you don't need to be screaming. Just going back to casting a pilot versus a TV series, you said it, it's kind of a different beast because obviously you're looking for regular actors versus sort of guest actors. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about the, the specificities of the differences in what you're looking for when you're casting a pilot versus just an ongoing guest role? You need someone who you feel can really carry a series. If it's a series regular, they're going to be in at least like 10, 13 or, you know, seven tenths of a series, if not every single episode. So so you need to feel confident in them that they can actually do a good job in every single episode. And you're also reading way more people. It's it's a different beast just because of the magnitude of work. You're, you know, you're usually casting at minimum six series regulars and then depending on the project you're going to have like maybe one or two recurring guest stars and then eight co-stars so it's you have just a lot more stuff to cast and that's part of the reason why it's it's such a different thing than just casting a series how long is that process though for the regular actors is it for a pi- know, oh for the actors for a pilot yeah is it 10 reads oh speaking, um well so like? it depends on how quickly you find someone i mean i've been in situations where we didn't have to read that many people and we tested once at studio once at network and then it was cast and that was done but i've also worked on projects where we've tested four or five times at studio with like and you would you wouldn't test the same actor twice at studio or twice at network it would be testing different actors and then finally you have enough to go to network and then hopefully you get cast but yeah i mean a lot of times people will do really great in the room and then just bomb at studio test and then they don't go forward because studio didn't sign off on them. So a lot of stuff goes into play. But I would say on average, you usually have a pre-read if you're more new, like if you don't have a ton of credits um, or like one or two producer sessions if you do have credits. What do you Um, define as a pre-read? A pre-read would just be with the casting director or the casting associate or both. And it's sort of like us pre-screening the actor to make sure they're even good enough to show to producers. Because a lot of times we do have auditions that are are not good or they just don't get the character or the material. And obviously we don't want to waste producers and directors time by showing them 800 people and we don't know if they're going to be good or not. So we, we pre-screen on our, on our own and then we take the best of the best to a producer session, which is for some people it's a callback, for others it's their first time reading it. And is there a much greater level of interaction with the writers and producers and execs when you're casting a pilot as opposed to just a guest role on a series? Yeah, I mean, we're with the producers like multiple times a week because we will have multiple producer sessions. And then they're with us for every studio and network test. It's much more involved because it's a longer process to find a series regular. If it's a co-star, then we do all the sessions on our own. We don't typically have producers watch anything other than like, the top five and they just need to pick one to sign off on and tell us a little about that test process to how do, do things work differently once you get to that level and you're showing it to the studio are they doing sort of like chemistry reads are they doing stuff on camera how's it um sometimes we have them chem read we typically don't usually they would go in like you probably have maybe three people testing for a role ish sometimes it's more sometimes it's less and they go in and it's just like an office or just a room with all of the studio executives or the network executives. And I'm sure it's so nerve wracking for them because, you know, these big decision makers are just 
sitting there staring at you <laughs> and there's no really back and forth discussion it's just you go in and you start <laughs> wow. and so and then you leave the room and then we'll see if they want to hear them like have them read again and if not then they're free to leave and either they make it to the next round which would be network or they don't we typically always have a cut after studio and then we would bring like the top two or three depending on how you how many you tested studio to network and are they just trying to like do the same thing they did for you guys again in front of these people yeah. or, or are they making little adjustments with your um, notes we do things? like a work session with them so that they do have adjustments and can really narrow down what we're looking for material wise but yeah then it's it's usually the sides they've always been working with and if not then we gave them the sides um, a little bit ahead of time so that they can prep but you know to the executives this is the first time they're seeing it to us it's you know god knows how many times at this point <laughs> size number five thousand yeah yeah wow so you've probably seen all of those like classic character introductions there was like a twitter a little while ago that was all the like the introductions for women and it's, it's always just like beautiful young oh like the, sexy but doesn't know yeah. it all that kind of thing like i'm curious about your thoughts on those kind of like stereotypical character introductions as you're reading them in scripts do you find that a lot what are your thoughts on how writers actually introduce their characters in scripts as someone who has to then go and cast them those characters definitely exist they're something that I don't know, maybe it's easy for you guys to write. I, I don't know. I don't know why there's stereotypes, but there are. And so it's our job to cast them. Like, it's not our place to edit what that character is supposed to be. We can think outside the box, but we, we still have to cast, even if it's a cliche. Yeah, you can't make a decision like, you know what, I think this character would be more interesting no. if they had like, you know, really uh, like a, a sad past. And I think that they should be a veteran. Yeah. And, like, you know, and a lot <laughs> it's of times, choice. you know, for uh, even even with a pilot, really, like we're only getting the first episode. So what may evolve four episodes in, we don't know unless you guys tell us or we ask. Um, and so the, the actors, therefore, don't know because they're just given either the full script if it's a pilot and they're waiting for a series regular. If it's a co-star, they're just given like the pages that they're in so yeah like part of your job as a writer and like producers and directors is to kind of look at those auditions and think like okay well i, th I think this character is going to end up being with this person can we maybe see a chemistry read with the actors that are reading for this or or you know whatever you want to see because we're not the writers we don't know what's going to happen do these uh, character descriptions translate one-to-one -to, -one to the breakdown that goes out or are they, what are the sort of adjustments on that? Um, well, the breakdown services has like writers that like type up our breakdowns for us. But if anything needs to be adjusted, then we have the ability to like edit and then we'll send it back to them and then they'll publish it online. Could you walk us through what it is like to be a casting associate? What is your day to day like? It kind of depends on the project. If I'm just working on a series, for example, Last Minute Standing was a show that didn't have a ton of guest cast. So there were definitely episodes where we didn't have any role that needed to be cast. So th those weeks are usually pretty slow. But if we do have somebody, then we'll usually spend a couple days doing everything from the breakdowns and then setting up the session. We usually have a next day appointment for co-star roles. So that means that I'll schedule the session on a Wednesday for a Thursday audition. We'll read people for that. Usually for a co-star, it's like maybe 25 people, like maybe like a two, three hour session. And then we, we, you know, send those choices off to producers and then get the approval from Network and Studio. And then after that is where the paperwork comes in, which is never fun. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm, I'm in charge of having to do all their deal memos, do the contracts, 
I have to get clearance from SAG that they are paid up with their dues. And if they're not in the union, then I have to Taft-Hartley them. What is that? It's basically like a form that's it's sort of like, hey, this person's working on our union project. And then like at, at a certain point, they have to join. So like the next project they worked on, if they still haven't joined, then they'll show up as like must join when you call to clear them. And they have to like go ahead and join the union or they can't work on the project. And yeah, and I do the cast list. So so really after the audition process, it's a lot of paperwork. And answering phones, we get lots of phone calls and pitches and... From random people, like, cast me in this thing. <laughs> we do sometimes get, like, an actor calling, and they'll be like, what, like, how do I audition? And I'm just like, get an agent. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have to go the route that everyone else goes. Like, I, I can't just trust you saying you're going to Random actor. stranger on the yeah, phone. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> What's the kind of back and forth like between you guys as the casting office and the agents and managers who are calling and pitching their clients or sending people in? Like, how does that process work? Well, for a co-star... Personally, I sort of feel like, you know, if your client can't say four lines, then maybe they shouldn't be in this industry. So, like, I don't fully understand the logic behind pitching for a co-star because theoretically anyone that fits mildly that description would probably be right. For a series regular, it's more just like ringing off the hook calls and everyone thinks their client is right. And the thing is that we as casting know a lot of stuff that the agency managers don't necessarily know. And maybe originally this role was going to be white, but now maybe producers and directors only want to see Indian men or, you know, certain ethnicities. And so we kind of have to take a beat on reading people who are maybe previously right and only focus on, on this new direction that they're going. So the communication is a lot of sort of informing agents of stuff that they're unaware of we also get asked a lot like when are you seeing this role are you still reading when are you testing um and some of the stuff we can we can say to them and some of the stuff we can't what do you think helps or hinders the the casting process in terms of the writing and the characters i think being boxed in like i said earlier there's characters that can skew differently than what you maybe had originally thought and it's our job as casting to kind of bring you an option that may not be what you had originally hoped for. And I guess I would encourage writers to kind of be open to that. Cause I think it is probably so hard for you guys to, I, I would imagine have like this idea of how you wrote this character and this has become like your baby now, but there's other options that may still be good and still work. <laughs> so what are you watching on TV right now? I ironically, even though I work mostly in comedy, watch pretty much solely drama. I, love Game of Thrones. I love House of Cards. I like really sort of dark drama, I would say. Like anything, Breaking Bad was great. I loved Weeds. I like Dexter. Yeah, dark dramas. That's where I'm at. Do you watch those shows with a special casting eye? I think it's impossible not to, especially when there's someone that you don't like and you have to wonder like, whose sister is this? Like, because <laughs> that happens a lot. Like we oftentimes like, Maybe that person wouldn't be our first choice, but it's it's someone the producer knows and, and they get cast because of that relationship. I think it's impossible to watch a show and, and not kind of nitpick that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Do you have an example as a viewer of those shows of oh, miscast roles? Not off the top of my head. I have an example of writing off the top of my head. So did you watch 13 Reasons Why? Yes. Okay, so my issue with that was I felt like 
the main care i can't remember any of their names the main girl Clay? was sort oh, of the main, girl. the main girl yeah Catherine langford is the actress she was sort of set up to be this like strong like i don't really give a crap what you think of me like this isn't gonna affect me type character and then her friend her best friend who i also can't remember her character's name she was sort of the vulnerable insecure one and so i always struggled from a writing standpoint why the main girl was the one that killed herself when I would have thought based on how things were written that it would have been her best friend. That's like a fundamental <laughs> <laughs> switch in the in the character. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, would you agree? What's your thought on sort that? Sort of. I mean, uh, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting... Do you know what I'm talking about when I say your best friend? I can't remember the... Yeah, I, I know. I do know what you were referring to. It's just, I don't know. I I had like many issues with the show, yeah. but that wasn't one of them. That wasn't? Uh, that wasn't really. I mean, my, my what I, I appreciated about her character well, but... was the unreliable narrator aspect of it. I thought that was probably the most interesting aspect of the show was that essentially you had a story that was presented to you that wasn't true. And I think that is a lot of people's sort of misinterpretation of the show. I know it got a lot of flack for glorifying suicide in many right. ways. But I feel like the if there's anything to take away from the show, I thought that was one element that the fact that the person who killed herself, the very conceit of the show was unreliable, essentially. And that's what I appreciated. And I thought that was only her character that could fulfill that role, if that makes any sense. I just didn't buy her. Like, granted, you know, the last two episodes, obviously her circumstances got significantly worse. But, like, she just didn't strike me as the girl that would have been so upset over, like, a rumor that had started to the point that that would have been one of the contributing factors. Whereas, like, her best friend probably would have been bent out of shape if that had happened to her. Like, I just saw her best friend as being far weaker than the main character. <laughs> far weaker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I do agree that the reasons why are not um, that warranted, I guess. But that's yeah. like a debate on uh, what is worth killing yourself <laughs> for. Uh, let's debate that That's a different that. podcast. <laughs> so when you're watching stuff like that, are you kind of, like, taking down names of, like, you know, guest stars and people like that? You're like, oh, they were really good. Maybe we could bring them in sometime for something. Like, do you guys ever put together your own list of, like, what am I going well, Actually, for every, for every project, we have a master list of names of everyone that, if it's a series for everyone that we've auditioned, if it's the pilot, it's everyone we've auditioned, everyone that we has even, that we've even thought of that would be right for the role. A lot of those people are unavailable or not interested in TV or not interested in that specific project or, you know, whatever the reason. So it, it ends up being like this 30 something page document, just a list of names of actors. Wow. So yeah, like part of my job is to literally keep tabs of all of that but yeah when i'm watching tv if there's someone that i'm like oh this person's really good like i'll probably look them up and if it's not someone i know kind of snoop around a little bit see what <laughs> they've done mentally note that they did a really good job is that your discovery process yeah but i, I would say that i've found more like discoveries if you want to call it in like the actual audition room in the actual process because sometimes you'll read someone who has zero credits and they just do such a good job and you're like where have you been how do we not know about you why have you not booked more you know so i think we discover more that way what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that actors make when they come in to read for something oh gosh i have so many pet peeves um <laughs> for starters actors are notoriously late which drives me nuts because we made a schedule and like i put all this time into like making the schedule and then if you're 15 minutes late and it like screws everything up. So tardiness is a big mistake. But also I think just people sometimes 
don't come in prepared or don't really know the ins and out of the audition process. Like they'll want to ask too many questions or, or they'll be afraid to ask to redo it if they feel like it wasn't a good read or they'll stumble online and just completely throw themselves off their game, which, you know, everyone makes mistakes and we as casting, we want you to succeed. So if you stumble on a line, just go back up to the start of the line and say it again. It's no big deal. And I think actors are really emotional beings and it just gets into their head a lot. And I think the nerves can kind of wear them down and the process in general, it's not easy for them. That's crazy that people would arrive late at a, a job interview, essentially. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, it drives me nuts. And then another pet peeve, like, <laughs> we're, we're now green, but we used to, like, always have actors bring in their headshot and resume, like, a hard copy form. And I'd be, like, on the phone and, like, trying to do, like, answer emails and just, like, clearly busy. And actors would, like, you know, kind of tap me on the shoulder and ask for my stapler to staple the resume to the headshot. And I'm like, just show up with it, stapled, <laughs> or, like, keep a stapler in your car, like... Little things like that. I have a strong love-hate relationship sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on kind of how actors approach the material that's in front of them in the script and how they kind of make their choices about that? I think actors sometimes get bogged down with either how the breakdown was written or how a character reads on paper. And I personally really think that an actor kind of has to bring a little bit of like what's naturally inherent in them to a character and kind of make those choices based on like who they are as a person. And so I think a lot of times actors try to be something instead of making a choice that may not be the obvious choice, but there may be a better choice with the material. Does that make sense? Yeah. If 800 (laughs) people come in and make the same choice that the material suggests, then you're going to get 800 people reading exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. You can come in and read for the jock role and say it in like the douchey way that you think he would say it. But Maybe really, if you're not that person, the better way to say it is to kind of how you would say it and make a choice based on what's going to make sense for how you just inherently come across, because that's going to read more natural. And on the flip side, do you have any advice or thoughts on the sides themselves, the what should writers include? or emphasize in sides or scripts? Well, we pull the sides. So um, we'll usually run that by the producers or the directors if it's a series regular, like, hey, are you you cool with with these sides? And then um, studio and and network will also approve those sides as well. So that doesn't fall so much on writers. Sometimes we will ask the writers to write a new scene if we feel like there's something important with the character that's not within the script already. Mm -hmm. And maybe that happens like two episodes in. And so then we'll just ask you to type up a couple pages and what kind of scenes do you find lend themselves best to being able to judge whether this person's right for that character Um, well if it's a comedy then we definitely want to see some comedic notes and you know i think it depends on the character and a scene that really kind of shows who he or she is as a person and we'll pull from various parts of the script and we'll kind of like edit out certain lines that are just filler and maybe it's a scene with three people, but we'll take out that third character just so it's like the casting director and the actor. So we'll do some editing on our end, but I think the most important thing is to kind of get the meat of what that character is so that the actor that's auditioning can can use that and show you what they think the character is supposed to be. What are some of your best stories of uh, actors coming in for a read? My favorite story is from the agency side. And I like booked an actor on something and sent her like the details in an email and I CC'd my boss on it and I said, reply all to confirm receipt. And she sent me an email back just to me. She didn't CC my boss. 
She only sent it to me with just the word all. She replied all (laughs) to confirm receipt. Press any key. Where's the any key? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's my favorite story. But I'll get like random Twitter followers that are like, hey, can I come audition for this? Or like Facebook messages. I just sometimes don't understand like what goes through. (laughs) Maybe it's because I don't have like a my brain isn't as creative as an actor's but um we've had like people come in for an audition and like it won't even be an emotional scene and they'll need to take like a long moment to prepare themselves or like i had one guy like do like karate in the room to like psych himself up and he spent like five minutes doing karate and we're just like (laughs) sitting there in the room trying not to laugh at him (laughs) because we're like what are you doing like what is going on right now just weird stuff like that i also got a headshot once of like 1800s soldier and this guy had like clearly like photoshopped his face on like the portrait of this i think it was like a painting too (laughs) and like that's all he sent he didn't send like it was like a cold headshot submission he didn't even like send in like a a normal headshot it was just i mean it it caught my attention i saved it i want to make a coffee table book of like all my my stories. What about sending you glitter in the envelope? That's a hot I've not gotten that. Not that. We get food more than glitter, like Ooh. muffins and stuff. Do you trust it? Or are you like, hmm? Uh, I guess they it have depends no- on what they look like and like where they're from. Like sometimes they'll order it through like a bakery and the bakery will deliver. And that I trust. But like if it's like homemade cookies, probably not. Like <laughs> yeah. just in like a Ziploc bag. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Is anyone ever just kind of like completely blown up or melted down or something like that in a, in a read or an audition? Not in the room, but we've had a couple times where, where like the actor will come back and like after they've left and be like, I just felt like I didn't do a good job. And usually those people aren't right for it anyways. And so then it's an awkward conversation where you have to be like, it was fine. Like you don't need to do it again because you just you know don't it's see not it, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things especially like once you've been in the room enough like you it's sort of like a date you kind of know within the first sentence if it's gonna work Mm. (laughs) and that's kind of how it is with casting too like you usually know pretty quickly if they're gonna be right or not is there anything in particular that indicates that to you or is it just like an unconscious thing you're like you can tell yeah it's nothing in particular it's just that like as soon as they start you just know they're a good actor but they're just not right or they're not a good actor or and you know sometimes you do find that person who the beginning of their audition is a little shaky and they kind of find their footing in the second half we always let them finish and so if we do see that the person is a good actor we'll you'll, we'll usually say like okay just do the top half again and then we'll edit so that it, it's their best take that we show but yeah you just kind of it's just, i don't know there's not really like a rule to it you just kind of know if if it's going to be good or not. <laughs> so you guys didn't do that cliche thing in every movie where they start reading the Stop line the and like, that, that's enough. No. We've heard everything. We I think some <laughs> casting directors do, but like, I don't know. I think it's kind of mean. Just let them. It's kind of mean like and minute. it's awkward. Give it, yeah. Give it and I mean, like if anything, we, we don't even do this, but if I were my own boss, like if, if I were, gonna go like i would never go the route of just stopping them in the middle like i may just say like hey we're actually not going to do the third scene and you can do the first two or whatever mm. but yeah i think stopping them right in the middle of them trying to do their work is hard pass it, yeah that's <laughs> oh that's gotta be so hard for the actor too yeah oh that's that's rough <laughs> <laughs> before we go do you have any resources be it books movies websites whatever you think of that may be of interest to our listeners regarding casting. I would encourage actors, like if they have casting director contacts that they feel 
confident enough to reach out to and like have a close enough relationship like if you have a question ask but yeah i think a lot of the casting is just sort of you don't know until you've seen it like the day i was hired i think the the guy who was originally the film and tv agent decided to go into casting actually out of all things i was hired to originally be like kind of a floater and help out with all the departments and then the agency director was like just kidding like you're gonna work solely on tv and film so yeah i was thrown into the fire and i think that's a big part of what i learned because nothing of my education prepared me for it there's no degree in like casting or or agency or management positions like none of that exists so i think a lot of the people in this industry have learned by doing or by interning all right well that brings us to the end of the episode so thanks everyone for taking the time to tune in you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 57. And if you want to leave us reviews, you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. All those reviews are going to help us find more listeners and make us feel warm and fuzzy inside, like always. Thanks again to our sponsor, the Tracking Board's 2017 Launchpad Feature Competition. Paperteam listeners can use the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, at the checkout to save $15 off their entry. You can learn more about all of Launchpad's current competitions and exclusive partners by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And I'm on Twitter at tvcalling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. And what's your Twitter, Becca? I'm at Becca underscore Burgess. Awesome. And no one please send her a request to be <laughs> yeah. in Don't send me auditions. your headshot. All right, <laughs> <laughs> pass on that. Speaking of, if you have any thoughts, feedback, opinions... Not uh, headshots. No headshots. You can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week, Nick? We're going to be taking a look at a perhaps controversial topic. What What is inspiration versus what is stealing in writing? Ooh. Yeah. yeah. We're going to be taking a look at what is inspiration versus stealing next week. That was not a theft. That was just me repeating <laughs> what you just said. That was an homage to what was I just said. It was an homage. Copyright <laughs> infringement. All right. We'll see you guys then. Bye.